For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I am stoked about today's show. I'm going to be joined by Mark Schaefer, and we're going to explore why people share via social media and what you can do to improve your chances that people share your content. And with that, I've got a brand new discovery for you. After mediating a crocodile family dispute, look at what Michael Stelzner discovered. Speaking of secrets, um, maybe you have something that you need to share with someone like we do. For example, we've been working with developers on this brand new project. And one of the things that I needed to do was figure out a secure way to share a password to our servers. And I didn't want to send it over email. I didn't want to send it over Skype. I needed a way to do it securely. So I found this really cool resource called OneTimeSecret.com. Now, what is OneTimeSecret.com? Basically, it allows you to paste anything in there, like a password or a message or a link, and then it allows you to assign a passphrase. For example, Social Media Examiner's podcast is the best ever. No spaces, hypothetically. Then what you do is you hit Create Secret Link, and it's kind of like Bitly. It will create a special link that is used one time, and once it's used, poof, it's gone forever. It's a very, very cool way. So what you can do is you can email this link to whoever you need to, and you can call them and you can say, hey, verbally, here is the passphrase. You obviously don't want to transmit the passphrase with the link at the same time. That's, that would defeat the whole idea of it being secure. Uh, once they use the link, they're provided and they put in the proper passphrase, they're provided the unencrypted version of whatever it is that you just provided to them. If they share that link with anyone else, it's useless. This is a completely free service. I think it's awesome. I'm sure there's many different ways that you could fathom using OneTimeSecret.com. Check it out. Thank me later. With that, let's move on to today's awesome interview with Mark Schaefer. AI has been a massive disruptive force over the past year. That's why we're excited to announce our brand new show, Introducing AI Explored. It's a weekly show hosted by me, Michael Stelzner. If you want to understand how to put AI to work, this is the show for you. Each week, we'll dive deep into using AI to your advantage. We're talking the practical, tactical stuff that I know you're probably craving. Search for AI Explored on your favorite podcast app and happy listening. 
helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. I'm very excited to be joined today by Mark Schaefer. If you don't know who Mark is, you haven't been listening to the podcast very much because he has been on this show a lot. He's the author of the Dow of Twitter and Social Media Explain, and his blog, Grow, has been awarded number two on our top 10 blogs of 2015. He also co-hosts the Marketing Companion Podcast, and his latest book that literally just is hot off the presses is called The Content Code, Six Essential Strategies for Igniting Your Content, Your Marketing, and Your Business. Mark, welcome to the show. I am so happy to be here, and uh, I'll apologize ahead of time. I've got a little bit of a cold, but I think this raspiness, I mean, it, it makes me sound sexy, doesn't it, Mike? I think it adds flavor, for sure. Flavor. Am I allowed to say sexy on your show? Am uh, I the first one to use that word on your show? I, I don't think so. <laughs> be honest with me now. <laughs> I don't think so. So, okay, well, I'm, listen. I'm so happy to be here with you. Thanks, Mark, so much for coming, despite the fact that you're uh, suffering through a little cold. Um, let's go back in time. Let's let's get in the time machine and go back to um, your experience with content, and in particular blogging. I know you've been blogging for a long time. When did you get started, and kind of what got you into this? Well, I started my own business around 2008, and I was consulting and I was teaching. And what I realized was to be able to do that, you need to immerse yourself in this. You can't. Pretend. If you're going to talk about Twitter and blogging and Facebook, you have to do it. There's no shortcut. So I started a blog really as an experiment, kind of a whim. And uh, I'll be darned, the thing kind of took off. I mean, not at, at first. It took me about nine months to kind of find my voice. And 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 it, it dawned on me after about nine months that I – all my contacts and all my business was coming through my blog. It's like, hey, I really need to pay attention to this. This is something I need to do. So it really started kicking in around 2010, I would say, and it's been building ever since. And it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. It's one of my most favorite things to do. So so you started in 2008, but it really didn't start getting legs until about two years later. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And now what were you blogging about at first? What was like what what were your thoughts when okay, you got this crazy idea to start a blog? What was the topic going to be all about? Oh, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> Cuz my blog was terrible at first. You know, you have to understand I came out of this Fortune 100 corporate environment, right? I had been through all this marketing training and all these marketing classes in my life. So, I thought, well, now I have a blog, so I have to create my marketing message to my target audience, and that's what I started to do. And two things happened, Mike. First of all, nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> it was just crickets. I mean, nobody was reading my blog. The second thing was I became bored, and I thought, you know, if I'm going to sustain this, I need to relax, and I need to write about what I'm interested in. I have to, I ha, you know, if I feel funny, I'm going to be funny. If something upsets me, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and be upset about something, you know, in a professional way, of course. And that changed everything because once I crossed that barrier and started to create something that was more human and more authentic and, um, you know, had more personality. Instead of me finding my audience, 
my audience found me. And what I discovered was my audience was not in Tennessee where I lived. My audience was all around the world. And even today, 60% of my blog audience is outside the U.S. And that was a, that was a wonderful revelation to me. And it's a lesson that I try to talk to every new blogger about is just have the courage to insert your own story, to stand out. We need to be original and to be original. We need to have that courage to tell our own story and have our own voice. So back in 2010, things started to take off. Was there a particular like inflection point where it just exploded for you or has it just been kind of gradual growth, you know, over time? I'm just curious. Uh, there was there was one inflection point, and I stepped out, and actually I was a little bit uh, controversial, and I wrote a blog post uh, that I called I think it was something like the uh, Social Media Country Club or something like that, and I was an outsider and I was a new blogger, and it seemed like all the big bloggers were kind of in this club, and they never said anything negative. Mm. And I'm thinking, how are we going to grow if we don't challenge each other? How, you know, how, do, how do we grow as a business? And frankly, what I saw at that point, it was somewhat disturbing to me uh, because a lot of the best practices, a lot of the rules of thumb of blogging at that point didn't necessarily align with my view of what business was about or what marketing was about. I came from a business background, 27 years of marketing experience. And I expect that you know any channel we use for our businesses, we have to measure. We have to be accountable. We have to be able to stand up and say, this is what I'm doing, this is why I'm doing it, and this is how it creates stakeholder value. And I'm hearing things on the web at that point like, don't try to measure it. You're stupid if you can. This is not about your stupid company. It's all about the conversation. I'm thinking, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it, it was really, really disturbing to me. So at one point, I just said, you know, I've had enough. And I'm going to start speaking my mind. And, and it was, it was, I was nervous about it. But here was the reaction. People, you know, 99% of the people said, thank goodness, Somebody finally said this. This is what needs to be said. And I think that's when I started getting some attention. And again, that takes courage. It, it takes courage to be a blogger. Absolutely. Now, now fast, forward into, fast forward to today, Mark. You're teaching uh, classes on, on social media marketing. You've written many different books, and I've only mentioned a couple of them. Mm-hmm. And um, you've got this brand new book out. You're consulting for very, very large organizations all over the world. And you are definitely one of the thought leaders in um, social media. And, um, you know, you've come quite a long way. And I know the, that you've learned an enormous amount about content. So what we're going to really dig into today is how have things changed? You know, what's different from back then? Like I started blogging in 2006. And I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, so many people in the blogging world back then, well, there weren't nearly as many bloggers, first of all, even yeah. though I felt like I was late to the game. And I'm sure you felt the same. Um, you know, most of the people seem to be talking about opinions, but there was very little value. And um, I found that back then it was very easy for me to differentiate myself by by talking about things that no one would talk about. For example, how to do things. And a lot of people back then kept those secrets kind of 
under wraps because they wanted people to hire them. And I decided to just give it all away for free. And that's essentially what made Social Media Examiner, I think, so successful in my prior businesses as well. But, you know, today we're in a totally different world. I mean, social media was not as big of a deal back then um, as it is today. There's a lot of different things going on today. So for marketers that are listening right now, whether they're creating blog articles or whether they're creating, um, you know, slide decks, sharing on, on um, uh, SlideShare, or whether they're creating PDFs or images that they want to get shared or used for lead generation, you know, um, why it, what's the challenge they're facing today? Because I know that it's just not quite what it once was. Well, I think, you know, I think you've covered it very well is that it's, it's crowded today whether you're an individual blogger, uh, whether you're working in a business, whether you're working for a brand. And, you know, many niches, many business niches are getting very, very crowded with content and social media activity. And so it, it's, it gets very, very difficult to compete. And this is predictable. I mean, whenever the internet first started, everybody needed a website. If you were the first one with a website, you had an advantage. Then we needed to be found. If you were the first one to figure out search engine optimization, you had an advantage because you're going to be at the top of the search rankings. But once your competitors figured it out, it gets harder. It gets more difficult. It gets more expensive to be in marketing. Same thing is happening now. We're, we're reaching a certain maturity point, not everywhere, but in a lot of markets from, for a lot of businesses, they're seeing this that it's hard to stand out. It's hard to be seen because people are figuring it out. And when that content density increases to a certain point, then you're faced with, what do I do? How do I stand out? And this is not just a theory. We see it happening on Facebook right now with this literally cataclysmic decline in organic reach. And creating more content or even better content isn't necessarily the answer. So for the last year, I've been obsessed with figuring this out. You know, I, I don't want to take this lying down. I want to figure it out. What do we do? What are our options? How do we maneuver in this very crowded world? And that's why I wrote this book. And I think obsessed is really the key word here. <laughs> you know, Mark? I, I, I lived this and breathed this for a year. But, you know, it was worth it because I think I've created – my best work. And I think this is the book that people need right now. You know, when, when you're talking and I'm thinking about this, I'm imagining walking in Times Square, New York City. Have you been there before? Oh, sure. So if, if anybody listening, and I know we have people all over the world that are listening that have not been there, just imagine literally every square inch that's possible covered with an advertisement. As far as the eye can see, you look up, you look aside, basically just ads everywhere. And there's so many ads that literally they don't even need lights because the ads create enough light for you to walk down the streets. Now, um, <laughs> that is essentially what we're talking about times like a million with what's going on right now, right? Because there are even just the Apple Watch, which just came out, right, is now competing for your wrist, right? So Apple has now taken a, a one by one inch space on your wrist that they're going to use now so you don't have to take your iPhone out of your pocket so that they can continue to deliver messages to you. We are over inundated as consumers and that makes it especially hard for us marketers who don't have unlimited budgets, doesn't it? It really does. And I, and I, I kept that in mind 
as I wrote this book as well, because I think this book will appeal to businesses of all sizes. There's stuff in there for everybody that can help their business right now. So let's talk about um, the code. You know, at a very high level, you've come up with a formula which you call um, the content code. So just kind of give us the layout at a super macro level about what the code is. Well, at a super macro level, today, all the conversations are about content, creating more content, better content, optimized content. The conversation is about building an audience. How do we get more followers, more likes, more traction, more traffic? And those conversations don't need to go away, but they're not working anymore. And the conversation is not the finish line. Great content is the starting line. And if your content doesn't ignite, it's not creating value for your business. It's, you know, if, if it doesn't move through the internet, if people don't share it, if they don't engage with it, then you're not getting economic value from the content. And as I started to get into this research, Mike, like I said, I studied this for a year. The, the facts are staring us right in the face. eMarketer did this study of CMOs. It said 83% of these CMOs cited social sharing, sharing as the number one value of their digital marketing. Mm. 70% of consumers say they're more likely to make a purchase based on content that people are sharing. So we need to kind of change our mindset to think about the economics are being driven by the transmission, transmission between friends. So the, the book kind of like blows this apart and says, okay, wow, how do we ignite? What does it even mean to ignite? Who ignites it? Um, and, and so I start really talking about the psychology of sharing and the sociology of sharing. And as I got into this, it has changed me as a marketer. And I think it'll change people who read the book too, because, you know, I don't know about you. I can only speak for myself, but I'm a marketing guy. I'm a social media guy. When I go and share content on the web, you know, it's, it's something that I like, or maybe it's to help out a friend or who knows. But when you get into why people really share content, it's... It's this intimate experience. So people share content primarily for three reasons. Number one, because it's an expression of their self-identity. It says something about them. They're standing up and saying, I believe in this. It says something about me. It makes me look smarter or more relevant or more funny uh, or or hip or is, I don't know if hip's even a word anymore. So I just dated myself. <laughs> so- so, but you want to be one of the cool kids. So you're choosing this because it says something about you. The second reason, which is the most important reason, the number one reason is people share content as an act of generosity and kindness. They want to help people. They want to inform people. They want to maybe let people have a, a, a happier day, a funnier day or a healthier day. The third reason has nothing to do with content at all. 
and everything to do with the person or the brand who wrote it. People love this person so much. They love this brand so much. They share the content no matter what it is because it's about the emotional connection. Now, here's the big lesson. People share content for intrinsic and emotional reasons. But businesses are trying to get us to share content for economic reasons. Mm. And we're spending all this money on SEO and advertising and promotion and coupons and deals to try to get people to share our content when the people who are moving the needle, the bedrock of our business, are the people who are sharing content for intrinsic and emotional reasons, not economic reasons. We have to change our mindset about what this is all about and what's really driving the economics and really dig deep into who are these people? How do we find them? How do we reward them? And really, we, need to, we don't need to build traffic. We need to build trust with these people who are really creating the economic benefits for our business. Awesome. Give us an example of a person or a brand or a company that is doing this well. I'm sure you profile plenty of them in your book, um, but is there one particular one that stands out that, that, that you really think you know, is done well and, and what are they doing and what, why is it working for them? Well, can I name two? Yeah, go for it. Short ones. You know, one that I love is the GoPro camera. And I think the key, their key to ignition is that almost all of their content is being created by their audience. They're involving them in the family. And so they're elevating. What I, the, the people who are sharing, I call in the book, the alpha audience. It's a very elite group, perhaps 2% of your followers. And they elevate this alpha audience and they reward them and nurture them and celebrate them. And they're growing it from 2% to 3% to 4%. And it, it's, it's, I think it's awesome. Talk about what they're doing. Cause I know, I mean, I've seen it, but not everybody has like, give some, what are they doing uh, in particular? GoPro. Well, yeah. GoPro is a, it's, it's a little camera that you that can go anywhere. It can attach to anything. And so it's kind of become the go to go-to content creation system for extreme sports and adventures and just unusual things. And so they could never, ever in a million years create enough content to hold people's attention. But if you go on their YouTube site, and primarily this is YouTube, of course, because they're making videos, <coughs> excuse me, it's absolutely addictive. I talked to one of my neighbors. He's like 70 years old. And I just happened to mention, you know, GoPro and the cool things they were doing. He said, I spent all night last night watching these videos. I'm living vicariously through these crazy people and their adventures. And so I think it's brilliant because, Mike, the, the entry barriers to creating great content today are zero or, no, or near zero. And let me let me let me yeah. share a couple of stories. Um, one of them was they actually attached a GoPro to the foot of an eagle, and oh. and they literally let it uh, fly from a 
like a park or something off the top of a mountain and they showed an eagle in flight from the eagle's perspective. Another one was they attached a bunch of GoPros to this submarine that went down into the deepest levels of the ocean and they were able to show stuff that we'd never seen before. Uh, another one was they strapped one on the helmet of a crazy biker who, um, yeah, you probably have seen these before where they're oh, just on, yeah. on the edge of mountains and stuff and you practically oh, yeah. get vertigo watching them, right? Oh, those things, those things make me pucker. I'll be honest. I bought a GoPro for my kids after seeing that they never used the thing, but you know, I just thought, wow, okay, I got to get my kids one of these things. So it totally works. So they are totally using user generated content. That is really you, cool. User generated content. And if, if you think about the traditional mindset, you know, you might be the marketing guy and say, okay, we're GoPro. We've got to create great content. But what they're doing is they're not doing the work. They're enlisting others and at the same time building that alpha audience. And awesome. that's how it's igniting and that's how it's, how it's growing like crazy. Talk about that second example you said you wanted to mention too. Well, the second example, I wanted to point out something really interesting. And I'm sure you see this too. There, I mean... There are people who share the social media examiner blog every single day, right? Yeah, fanatically. Fanatically. Now, there's a person you may know. Uh, she's one of my favorite people on the web. Her name is Shanali Burke. Shanali has a PR agency in Washington, D.C. She is one of the finest public relations professionals I've ever known. She's the consummate professional, and she is keenly aware of how, you know, you are what you tweet. Hmm. And she's keenly aware of how content either adds to her image or takes away from her image. She shares my content every single day, even if she can't read it. And she, this, is what, this is what she told me. She said, I trust you. I know you will never let me down. You have never written a blog post that I wouldn't be proud to share with my audience, my friends, and even my family members because you, you will just, I know you will never let me down. Now, this is another Really interesting change in mindset, isn't it? Think about what's going on here. I've created this member of my alpha audience. Think about some of the behaviors that are going on in the web right now. I get um, pinged every day, several times a day on my email through companies that want to pay me money to run their content on my blog. You know, this is easy money, right? But you know what? I'm not going to do it because I am not going to let anybody down. They have to trust me. That is a very powerful currency today. Trust. I can never break that. Always exceed your expectations. And I'm going to do that because that's what's going to win. That's what's going to build an alpha audience that moves my content. And that is going to create far more economic value than me taking a few dollars for my, for, you know, posting a post. Yeah. And I want to connect some dots for people that are listening right now, because we experience the same thing over here at social media examiner. Um, we, we have articles that come out at 2am and 3am in the morning. And usually within about 90 minutes to two hours, we've got a thousand retweets on that article. Now I know for a fact that there's just no way that that many people 
are actually reading it that quickly and sharing it. I know instead what people are doing is they've come to know and trust that our content is so good that they just automatically somehow retweet it and they don't even bother to read it. And I can tell you that Twitter is the second largest source of traffic on the social side of things behind Facebook. And part of it is because people tend to go gaga on Twitter over our content. So what Mark is talking about here is very important because if you can get people, if you can create content that is so good that people, that it makes other people look good when they share that content, um, they will begin to share it just because it's you. And that is a very powerful marketing thing, isn't it, Mark? Let's blow that out a little bit because this is one of the elements of the content code. Everybody has a personal brand, but not everybody is a heroic brand. Social media, excuse me, is that cold? Social media examiner is a heroic brand. People are igniting your content because of who you are and what you represent. Your brand transcends SEO. It transcends advertising, promotion, distribution. It transcends social media. People are going to be sharing it on text messages, on emails. They're going to be printing it out. And so branding, ironically, is more important than ever. Rising above the personal brand to become someone that we can always trust, that will never let people down. And that takes a lot of work. Um, and, and so I've got an entire chapter in this book dedicated to what does this mean? How are the professionals out there doing this today? I want to step back and talk about this alpha audience concept you alluded to quite a few times in the last five or 10 minutes. Uh, describe what is an alpha audience exactly and, and how do we go about building one? The alpha audience I define in my book is, well, you know, everybody has followers. Um, everybody has, you know, people who have friended them. And on Twitter, you know, I've got over 100,000 followers. Is that my audience? You know, I guess it's my audience, potentially. But the people who, who buy my books, who may hire me someday – are this elite group that are sharing my content. And what I suggest in the book, that that could be really as little as 2% of your audience. And I want to suggest that there's an opportunity here. Um, if Once we start thinking about this in a different way, once we start putting the alpha audience and trust at the front of our businesses instead of traffic. Traffic creates tourists. They come to our blog and never come back. We want to spend our money building trust <clears throat> so, that, so that the real people who move the needle for our businesses will, will, will they'll trust us and that will lead to loyalty and loyalty trumps everything. So one of the tricky things is some of the people are apparent. You you could just name some of the people who are in your alpha audience. They're there all the time. They share your content. They'll support you day and night, whatever is going on. But more than 70% of the people aren't on the radar. 
they don't, they don't share their content on Twitter. Let me give you an example of what I mean. I got an email from a guy. He said, Mark, you never heard of me. I've never commented on your blog. I've never tweeted you. I work for the government in, I think it was Nova Scotia. He said, I read your blog every day. I've bought all your books. I pin your blog posts up around the office so people can read uh, what you're writing. We use your ideas from your books and your blog posts in our presentations that we talk to in uh, business development for our region. This person, he's the alpha audience, isn't he? Isn't he? Absolutely. But if, if, you, if you look at common analytics programs, I would never see him. I would never find him. Now, today, that's commonly being called dark social media. These are people that are sharing on emails, text messages, private messages, you know, printing it out and pinning it someplace. Or Things that are totally it. untrackable, right? They're untrackable. However, I think there's something in between called gray social media. I think, Mike, those passionate people, a lot of those people, aren't completely in the shadows. I think they're telling us that they love us and we just don't hear it. Let me give you an example. Let's say there's a young lady who, she's not a social media fanatic, but she loves my blog and my books. And she only tweets three times a month. What if I knew that half of her tweets were about me? Now, on the analytics program, she's going to show up as one mention a month. I would never know her. I would never see her. But if I knew half of her tweets are about me, she needs to go in a special column. Mm. Because she is telling me, in, she's sending me this little signal. So the signal is there. It's not dark social media because it's there. But we're not thinking about this the right way. We're not thinking about, we're, we're looking at volume. We're looking at number of mentions. We're looking at sentiment of mentions. We're not looking at that 2% of people who are telling us that they love us and finding them and connecting to them and nurturing and saying, thank you. How can we help each other? I see you're in New York. Next time I'm there, can we have a cup of coffee? These are the people who are moving the needle. These are the people. This is where the economics of social media and content marketing lie. I love two this. Per, the, the 2% of the alpha audience. And I mean, here's a word that we need to start talking about in our businesses. Love. These people love us. Every, every business has fans that love us. You know, how, how do we reward that and how do we say thank you, thank you? You're special to us too. Well, um, I think you're bringing up something very important. And one thing to not underestimate is when someone does go out of their way, especially when you have a decent sized audience to send you that email telling you how much they appreciate what you've done for them um, or sends you a private Facebook message, you know, um, because they just, you know, love everything that you're doing in their life. I guess we really ought to acknowledge, thank them, um, prop them up if it's even possible in a good way. I think Chris Brogan does a really good job at this. Chris focuses a lot on the little guy, if you will. And, um, also, Guy Kawasaki talks about how 
Um, it's the little guys that actually matter now. You know, I think so many of us are so focused on trying to get in with the quote unquote influencers that we don't realize we've got a lot more influence amongst these alpha audience, don't we? I've got an entire section of the book on that, Mike, that kind of dispels the myth of influencers. And I'm not saying there's not some value there. In certain situations, especially, let's say you're, you're in a startup and you don't have time to build that trust and to build that audience. It is possible to borrow that trust, to borrow someone else's audience for some period of time and create awareness. So there are circumstances where absolutely that works. But I mean, I think if we're thinking about content ignition as a long-term strategy, there's no shortcut. You've got to do the work. The people who are igniting the content, those are, those are the people creating the value, and you've got to build them one person at a time. Okay, so um, this is a great transition to my next question, which is, how can we make our content more shareable? And maybe we've been talking about it all along, but what can we do? You know, or what can the person listening right now who is struggling to get anyone to share their content? Because you have made a very strong case that getting people to share is the way to stand out in this noisy world. So what can we do um, with our content in particular, if anything, to help make it more shareable? There are lots of things we can do. In fact, I think this is probably the most important section of the book. It's so... Uh, it's so big. I actually, it actually, it took two chapters to cover cover all the ideas that I had. And um, the first chapter about embedding shareability into our content is understanding these fundamental reasons about why people share. We have got to change our mindset in our businesses and understand the emotional connection people have with content, not try to create some artificial economic um, uh, condition. Uh, I've I've got to know this new friend. His name's Ted Wright. He's a word-of-mouth marketing expert, and I feature him uh, in my book. And he said, the people who are sharing content, they are information junkies. They want to be the first they want to show they've got the inside information. They want to you know, be there before anybody else. They don't care. You're, you're not going to use – you can't use coupons to, to attract these real influencers, the people who are really loyal to you. So the first stage is to understand that, con- that the act of sharing content is a very personal and intimate experience. It's not an economic experience. The second thing is, is that there are tons and tons of things. And I mean, one of the things I love about Social Media Examiner is you're helping people figure out ways to get their content to be shared. I know recently you ran a blog post by Ian Cleary saying, here are some ideas. And these things really work. Um, there is a process you can go through. I've got uh, 22 different practical ideas in the book you can start using today little tricks, little algorithms about, you know, these types of words and how you can uh, adjust your headline, tweak your headline. What about content? All of these ideas are based on research from big companies that show these things really work. It's, I was very, very careful. In fact, on one of these algorithms, I actually hired a statistician because I didn't believe their claim. 
and I, dis- I disprove them. So, um, and I have that in the book. They say, you know, here's this algorithm. They say if you reach this certain number, you, your content becomes more shareable. That's not true. And it has to be this number. And I've got the statistics to back it up. So everything in the book is based on data. It's based on research. It really works. Well, I want to add on a little bit of what you're talking about here. Um, you you talked about the, the motivations as to why people share. And I strongly believe, and I've always believed, that people like to share stuff that makes them look smart. Or they like to be, uh, or the alpha audience in particular, likes to be um, one of the first to be able to share something really valuable with their audience. And they tend to be the ones that are on the front end of... Uh, of these curves, I think, and why things tend to explode on the sharing front. Absolutely. And, and if you know what your audience is most interested in, which really harkens back to doing surveys, which is something I've done from day one, mm-hmm. we survey thousands and thousands of our readers and ask them all sorts of questions to get at what are the challenges that they want to solve in my area, which is social media marketing. And then we actually commission people to write articles on those very topics. Now, it doesn't sound like rocket science, Mark, but it works like a charm because we know exactly what they want and we are constantly refreshing that data and we produce content and then we test that content against what our survey data shows us. And sure enough, um, it, it connects the dots, right? Because they told us this is what our struggle is. We help solve that struggle for free in an article, and then people go gaga over the article. And it attracts more people to us. It grows our email newsletter list. And as we continue to do more and more of that, we grow. And I'll give you a quick example. Google Analytics is a great example. We know from our research that people struggle with the measurement side of things. And nearly every time we come out with an article about some particular aspect of Google Analytics, it goes viral like nothing we've ever done before. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's because we have the data. And it's also because I think these marketers um, think, oh my gosh, this is awesome. I'm going to share this with all my marketer friends first and boom, sure. it explodes, right? Sure. And, and you know, I know that you're characterizing this as something that's not rocket science, but this is overlooked by so many people and it doesn't have to be hard. Um, it, it, it can be just going out and talking to people and listening. It can be a simple survey monkey survey. But you're absolutely right that, uh, look, and I, I need to emphasize that all of this starts with great content. I mean, you, you know, you've got none of this ignition stuff is going to work unless you've, you've got the goods. Um, and I agree with you that, that research and talking to people and asking those questions, that has to be step one. Excellent. Well, step two, Mark, is to go out and grab your book, The Content Code. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find it and where they can discover more about you? Uh, The Content Code is available on Amazon, and you can get the Kindle version. I'm going to have um, an audible audio book coming out. It might be a month or so. I'm going to have to get over my cold (laughs) to narrate it, I think. But a lot of people have asked for an audio book. And uh, that's going to be coming out. And you can find lots of information about me, uh, the book, the blog, my podcast at businessesgrow.com. Mark Schaefer, author of The Content Code. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day, despite your cold, to share your insight with us. 
It's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Mike. Well, I hope you found value in today's episode. If there's anything we talked about that you missed, well, don't worry. We take all the notes for you. You can visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 140. That stands for episode 140. Also, if you're new to the show, be sure to subscribe in whatever podcast player you're listening to. And if you haven't done so and you're a regular listener, would you consider giving us a rating and or a review? It's very easy. You can go to socialmediaexaminer.com slash iTunes or socialmediaexaminer.com slash Stitcher. And in either one of those cases, you can write a review of the show. Uh, We would love that. That helps us get discovered by new people and allows us to continue our nice placement in the appropriate rating systems. Well, this does bring us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. If you're like so many fellow marketers and creators and entrepreneurs, you're probably wondering, how do I put AI to work? Well, be sure to listen to the AI Explored podcast, a new show from Social Media Examiner, hosted by yours truly, Michael Stelzner. Again, check out the AI Explored podcast.